I am so glad that you are here today. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Christ the King. And I'm just surprised you guys came inside. I mean, seriously. When you look at all of your options, and I was going to sit up here and brag on you and say only the really holy people of God actually come to church on a weekend like this, but we're talking about humility, and I don't want you to make you sin by blowing up your head right at the beginning. So we're not even going to go that direction, okay? Let me start by saying this. I'm going to tell you kind of the direction that we're going. This weekend, we're going to take a message, but we're also going to wrap a whole bunch of updates inside of it so you kind of have an idea where we're going. So we're in the middle of a three-week series called Inside Out. We're looking at the virtues that are supposed to happen on the inside of our lives, talking about how to get them to the outside of our lives. We're in week number three. We did uh, honesty the first week, loyalty last week. This week, we're going to talk about humility. Next week, we're going to talk about the virtue of self-discipline. I'm not looking forward to that one because I'm going to have to confess a lot of sin in that area. And then we're going to talk about compassion the last week and then celebrate communion together. Then we're going into a four-week series in September called Deep. We're going to look at what it means when God's people press deep into his presence and deep into spiritual growth. Then we're going to do a nine-week series in October and November called Cringe. Over my break, I opened my New Testament and I was struck by the number of times that Jesus said stuff and the reactions that he got was this. Can you believe he said that? And he was offending people right and left, making people cringe. And so we're going to look at a whole bunch of cringe moments from the New Testament and we're going to invite Jesus to put us on the hook and make us squirm too. Isn't that awesome? Okay. And then in December, we're going to do a Christmas series. I can't believe we're talking about Christmas already, but we're going to do a Christmas series called Another Way Home. All right. So that's the direction that we're going. Today, I want to talk to you about an incredibly difficult topic. It's the topic of humility. I see examples of humility all the time. Yesterday afternoon at 2 o'clock, I saw an example of humility. So everybody that led worship this weekend, these are volunteers. They work full-time jobs. And yesterday afternoon, it's 85 degrees outside, and they're loading their guitars and their gear in the back of the church, coming into this big dark hole to lead worship all weekend long. You know why they do that? because they're humble servants of God. That's why. It's an amazing picture of humility. Last weekend, we saw people enter into the waters of baptism to do something that publicly doesn't make a whole lot of sense, to get wet in the name of Jesus, to declare their team. And the reason they did that was simple. They were humbling themselves before you and before God and saying, I'm choosing my team. I choose Jesus because Jesus chose me. Just this past week, about a week and a half ago, we we, uh, uh, said goodbye to our Africa team. Small little handful of people who are over in Africa right now putting the finishing touches on the Tumayini House of Hope. And they're over there humbly serving. Nobody else in the world even knows they're there. But their humility has pushed them to a place where they want to serve and are desperately wrapped in what God has for them. As a part of talking about humility, I also want to bring you up to speed with, with, with a search that we've been on. Christ the King Church has been looking for a worship pastor for the past seven months. Every time I say that, people go, seven months. And then I want to remind them of something, okay? And I remind them of this. The national average for a search of this magnitude in a church of our size, the average is two years, which means half of them are shorter than that and half of them are longer than that. We've only been at this for seven months and the search has been an amazing journey. We actually offered the job to one person and they said no. Why they would say no to a lovable family like us, I have no idea at all. We have to be careful with that because that's arrogance, right? Okay. 
But he said no. And because of that, we have to honor the fact that he doesn't believe God's freed him up from where he is. And so we honor his loyalty, which came off of last week. We honor his loyalty and say, God bless you. We've had a couple of other people and we didn't offer them the position because we didn't feel like it was a good fit. So we're continuing on the search. We're knee deep in the process. And what I know is this, as a church, we want God's person. Amen. Don't want my pick. Don't want your pick. We want God's pick. And so we're going to wait for God's perfect time and God's perfect selection. As a part of the journey to find this incredibly important person, the church council came up with six criterion that we have been holding to knowing that nobody is the full package, right? There's nobody can do everything 100%. I want to tell you the six criterion because it's going to tie into our theme of humility in just a couple minutes, okay? The six criterion are this. Number one was we prefer that they have church experience in a church of 1,500 people or more because having this many people in a church, even though it's summertime, but this many people, it's incredibly complex. We share resources, you know, places to rehearse. It's just incredibly complex. And if you haven't got an idea about the volume of work that needs to be done in a church of this size, we just think it would be better if we got somebody who has a little bit of experience there. Okay. Secondly, we'd like them to have proven musical expertise with the ability to play multiple instruments. So they need to be able to speak band. They need to have a knowledge of recording, charting, and writing because it's a really big deal. I mean, their language that they talk is the music of, uh, is the language of music. So we want them to be able to, to demonstrate that in multiple different ways. Thirdly, we'd like them to have some kind of pastoral training with a degree, if possible. It's because what, 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 the reason we're doing that is we're not looking for a worship director. We're looking for a worship pastor. We want someone who can open the word of God and teach us what it means to worship God in spirit and in truth. We're looking for somebody to shepherd our church in the first half of the service. That's what we're looking for, okay? Number four, we want them to have a proven ability to lead multiple volunteers. Number five, we'd like them to have a gift of administration because there's a ton of administration that comes with the job. And number six, and here comes the point, the most important criterion of all is that they would be a humble team player. Where does that come from? Why would that be so unbelievably important? I'll tell you where it comes from. This is my personal conviction. When pride walks onto a stage, Jesus walks off. So we haven't got any room for somebody that wants to stoke their own ego by being up front and getting a whole bunch of attention. We believe when pride walks onto a stage, Jesus walks off. Well, as part of this worship search, I've done a lot of interviews. And at the end of each interview, after I tell them the story of Christ the King, how we got here and what we're looking for, I ask them a question. The reason I ask them this question is because their answer tells me just a boatload about the condition of their heart. The question is this, after hearing everything that we've talked about, as far as our church goes, what do you want to know? What's the one question you'd like to ask? Because I found how they respond to that question just tells me, it just pulls back the curtain and shows me the condition of their heart. Okay. So I asked one guy, told him our whole story. This is what we've been through. This is our church. It was kind of an anomaly in the Pacific Northwest. I mean, just what do you want to know more than anything? His question was this. How many square feet is your stage? What? Another guy asked this question. Okay, now remember, it's just one question. He goes this. So how are you planning to contain my artistic presence. This was my favorite. So, 
what kind of a guitar will you be buying me so that I can showcase my gift? Okay, can I do it for you? Right? They are not being even thought of because those responses show me something. And I'll tell you what it shows me. It shows me a lack of humility. Just to give you some hope, I talked with a guy last week and his response to the question was this. Is Christ the King really consumed with making Jesus famous? Because if they are, I'd like to be a part of that. Okay, now we're talking. Humility is an unbelievably difficult thing to find. This is the hard part about talking about humility. I called it a troubling concept in your outline, and it goes like this. Humility is hard because the second you believe you're truly humble, you're not. Okay, 10 o'clock, did you get that? You want me to rewind it one more time? Okay. The second you believe you're truly humble, you're not. The second you think you've arrived, I am humble, you're not. You've already missed it. I found a kind of funny example of this in Scripture. In the book of Numbers, chapter 12, verse 3, the Bible says this. It says, now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anybody else on the face of the earth. You know what's weird about that verse? Do you know who wrote the book of Numbers? Moses. (laughs) That seems kind of weird, doesn't it? Now, before you just go, oh, Moses, man, you got issues, dude. You need 12 steps. I mean, okay, before you jump to that conclusion with Moses, I want you to understand how Scripture came about. God told Moses what to write down. So God tells Moses, I want you to write this down. You're the most humble man on the face of this earth. Can you imagine the argument that must have happened that morning? You know, Moses, write this down. I, Moses, is a very humble man, the most humble. What? I can't write that down. Write it down. I'm not going to write it down. Write it down. I'm not writing it down. That's not very humble. Mo, write it down. Okay? (laughs) It's just an interesting tension in there. Because Moses is not comfortable saying that I'm really, really humble because that makes you not humble. Humility is a hard thing to talk about because none of us can claim to have it. So before we go after this beautiful piece of humility, let's take a look at at the contrast. Let's flip it over and look at the contrast of arrogance. Let me give you a snapshot of the painful truth of arrogance. That's the first blank in your outline. You find it buried in the book of 3 John, and in that book is a one-line tragedy. Okay, let me read to you 3 John chapter 1, verse 9. Scripture says this. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. Diotrephes gets mentioned in the Bible one time. One time. And with that name comes a five-word tragedy. One mention of his name, and it exposes his character, his arrogance, and the ultimate result of what happens to arrogant people. They end up isolated and alone. Diotrephes becomes the poster boy for arrogance. He's driven by a need to be noticed. Diotrephes just doesn't want to be a member of the team. He wants to be the face of the team. He wants to be famous. He's driven by a need to be famous. And in letting that drive get the best of him, he commits a sin that basically says this. I want people to talk about me more than they talk about Jesus. He only shows up once. And in a moment, we're going to contrast a guy whose name shows up once with a man whose name shows up in the Bible over and over and over and over and over again. And the difference between the two of them is one of them is arrogant and the other one's humble. 
I don't like talking about humility because if you were to ask my wife how I was when she first met me in college, she would use two words. I know the words that would come out of her mouth because I've heard her answer the question before. She would say, cocky and arrogant. And she'd be right. When I was in college, my whole world revolved around me. I had the privilege in the school that I went to to sing on a team that went and traveled amongst different churches. The name of the team was Mandate, and we kind of prided ourselves in being those people who were of a different spiritual level. Not only was I on the team, I was the leader of the team, which in my mind put me in a completely different category. We went on a tour during my, between my third and fourth year of school, and I remember one day Professor Bob Ratzliff, God bless his heart for being an honest, truth-telling man, sat me down and he basically said this, Grant, you're full of yourself. And you're arrogant and you're rude. And what you don't understand is that arrogance push pushes people away. It doesn't draw people. And you need to change the direction and the trajectory of your life because if you don't, if you don't humble yourself, God will humble you. And that rocked my world. It rocked my world. I had no idea. That's how I was coming across. I had no idea that it was that deep-seated. I look back on those days and I have to admit that I pulled a diatrophies because I just wanted to be first. That's the painful truth of arrogance. And if that's not bad enough, wait until you hear the penalty for arrogance. Before I read this, I want to mention to you that, that, that it starts out talking to younger men, but then the penalty of arrogance gets applied to everybody. Let me read First Peter 5, 5. It says this, Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let those words sink in. Not the last section, the first part. God opposes the proud. God doesn't just sit idly by when we get all full of ourselves. Scripture says God actually sets himself up against people that are arrogant. And the reason he does that is because people who are arrogant are essentially saying this. I'm God to myself. I don't need anybody else working their stuff inside of my life because I'm already close to God's status as it is. That's the essence of arrogance. So God starts talking straight here and he says, I'm going to oppose you. Let me tell you what that means in a modern context. If you walk out of here today believing in your heart that you're all that, you're going to have a face-to-face -face encounter with I am. You do not want to pick that fight. Take it from somebody who knows. So that, that's the ugly side of arrogance. Let's flip the coin now to the beauty of humility. To go, or to see this, we need to go no further than a perfect picture of authentic humility. Let me read it to you from the book of Philippians. In fact, instead of reading along with me, just listen to these words from Philippians 2. The Bible says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each one of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider 
equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let me live this out for you. Let me try and explain it to you and give you a visual so we understand. There was a moment in time when God the Father and God the Son had to get an agreement over how they were going to restore broken humanity, how they were going to put the pieces all back together again. And so God the Father and God the Son got, got in agreement over this crazy plan that Jesus would step out of heaven, clothe himself in human flesh, come to earth, live a perfect life, and be sacrificed on a cross that the Creator would be killed by the created so that He could become a sacrifice and wipe away the sins of the world. And some moment, at some moment in time, when God the Father and God the Son got in agreement over this crazy plan, Jesus the Son did this. He took a knee in front of His Father and said, whatever your will is, I'm going to do that. Some of you played football growing up. There's a moment when the coach wants everyone's attention and he pulls everybody in and says, take a knee. And everybody hits one knee. You know why? Because they're taking a position of humility and a position of submission that says, I think the coach knows more than I do and I better listen up. Jesus took a knee in front of his father and said, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And then he went a step further. Instead of just taking one knee in an act of submission, placing himself under the father's authority, he actually took both knees and began to serve humankind. The Bible says over and over again that Jesus was washing feet and touching people who were broken and hurting. He got, he got elbow deep in the mess of humanity. He looked to his father first, then he looked to the needs of others, and then finally he looked to himself. That's humility. When you're the last on your priority list, that is humility, and that's what Jesus did. But it's a struggle. It's a struggle for all of us. So let's just review that just for a second. Jesus looked to his father, then he looked to the needs of others, and lastly, he looked to himself. It's the perfect picture of humility, and this is what the Bible says to us, to those of us who see the picture. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So you need to do that. Having the same attitude as Jesus, boy, that sounds easy, but is it? No, it is not. Because there's something inside of us that says, no, 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 I really think I am a big deal. I think I'm important. I think I have something to offer. I don't need to take the position of, uh, of submission and be under authority. I want to be able to do my own thing. Basically, there's a little thing inside of each one of us that says this, you are not the boss of me. And what that is, is a lack of humility. So we've talked about the problems. We've talked about this. Let's look at the challenge because this is a tough one for all of us, Okay. I'm going to read you a command from Scripture, and I want you to be honest about your reaction to what the Holy Word of God says as it lays out the challenge of humility, okay? Here it comes, Hebrews 13, 17. I didn't write it, God did, okay? Here it comes. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, some of you are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, that must be a typo right there because I'm not under anybody's authority. Some of you look at that and what happens in your heart is, oh, no, no, 
that's not a command, Grant. That's just a polite suggestion, and I'm not going to take that suggestion because nobody gets to be the boss of me. Some of you are like, Grant, the only reason you're saying that is because you're on the flip side of that equation as one of the quote-unquote leaders around here at Christ the King, and you're trying to get me to do what you want me to do, and that's not fair. Okay, let's just talk about that one just for a second. First of all, I would say this. For the record, being on the upside of that equation is a scary place to be. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but there is a separate judgment reserved for people who lead under God's authority, which means someday I'm going to stand before God and answer for every thought, every attitude, and every word that I've ever shared with you. And that is scary, and it should be. Because God's, I mean, just like, come on, little man. I will deal with you separately. I get to have a different meeting that everybody else gets to have. That's scary. Okay? I also want us to understand this. God has a special judgment for this. In fact, he not only gives us a a caution uh, or, or, or a specific talk here about humility, he then gives a special caution to those of us who call ourselves leaders. 1 Peter 5 verses 2 and 3 says this. Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, serving as overseers. Not because you must, but because you're willing. As God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those who entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. God tells his people, all of us, that we need to be under authority that we're to be under the authority of godly leaders who God has placed in leadership. And then he reminds the leaders, don't you get all full of yourselves because you're not only under the authority of this particular group, you're under my authority. And that's an incredibly humbling place to be. Let me show you how this works itself out at Christ the King Church. I am, uh, for lack of a better term, honored to be the lead pastor at CTK. But I want you to know something. Just because I'm the lead pastor does not make me the boss. Jesus is our pastor. In fact, if you ask for a copy of our org chart, the top box on the org chart has the name Jesus Christ. Because I will always want to be reminded who's in charge at Christ the King Church. This church got named after its boss. And that's never going to change. So I'm not the boss, which means I don't get to call the shots. I'm under the authority of Jesus as a follower of Jesus, but as a pastor of Christ the King, I'm not only under the authority of Jesus, I'm also under the authority of our church council. Don't call the shots. Don't have a free hand. I can't do whatever I want to because there's an authority over me that's there for my accountability and for my protection. I've placed myself willingly under their authority because I believe God put them there. And so when it comes to their authority, I have to be obedient to Hebrews 13, 17, just like everybody else does. I'm in one of those unique places, in authority, but under authority. And that's the most amazing thing. When you're under the right authority, I'll tell you what happens. Trust flourishes. Wisdom abounds. Safeguards are put in place. Friendships grow. Honor and respect are lived out. And most importantly, when you're under authority, the mission of God and the purpose for for His plan in your life, that begins to move ahead. Now, here's where the challenge comes in. I get to meet a lot of people who want to be in authority, but they don't want to be under authority. They want to call the shots. They just don't want anybody to check the bullets or the gun. Have you ever met that person? They're scary, aren't they? They want to boss people around. They just don't want to be open to anybody else's wisdom. 
They want to be at the top of the food chain. They don't want to be like Jesus who came to serve people. So here's a word to the wise. To those people who want to be in authority but not under authority, God says this, I oppose you. I will come against you because you're not humble. And if you won't humble yourself, I will humble you. I'm going to say it again. Don't pick that fight. Don't pick it. My encouragement to you is to get under the protective covering of authority. Don't see yourself as a boss, but as a servant. Servant leaders are the best kind of leaders because they're the ones that take cues from Jesus. Here's a tough question for all of us today. Whose godly authority are you under? Because if the answer is nobody's, that's a sign of arrogance and pride. Here's a scary truth. Way too many people bounce from church to church because they don't want to be under anybody's authority. They don't want to serve. They don't want to pull their weight. They don't want to be a part of the family. They don't want to be loyal because nobody gets to be the boss of them. Can I tell you what that is? That's pride. That's pride. They want to show up, start barking orders. They don't want to be faithful. They don't want to be trained. They don't want to sit under anybody else's authority so they never learn. And then they wonder why they always end up isolated and alone. I mean, and it's funny because it's the only place where people actually think you can do it inside of a church. I mean, run this scenario through your head. Go to the nearest Marine Corps base. Find a group of people in uniform and just start barking orders at them and see how that goes for you. What kind of a response do you think you're going to get? Probably not a good one. You know why? Because you might think you're in authority, but you're not under authority. I mean, just go to Western Washington University sometime. Walk into a classroom, open up your books, and start teaching. Do you honestly think somebody's going to sit down and go, let me start taking notes on this guy? No, they're going to call security. Because you're, you're not in authority over those person. The reason you're not in authority is because you've never been under authority. And what essentially that means is that that's arrogance and pride. So here's what God is calling all of us to do. We're called to get involved. Stay humble. Prove yourself by being faithful. Take a knee before Jesus. Take a knee before each other because someday God may choose to give you some authority and then you can use that authority to humbly serve your brothers and your sisters. That's the essence of humility. And there's a huge payoff that comes from doing it God's way. Let me show you the promise of humility from James chapter 4. The Bible says this, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Do you know what my response was when Dr. Ratzliff loved me enough to tell me the truth? I bawled like a baby. I know that surprises some of you. It does, but... I bawled like a baby because suddenly I just realized... I missed it. Instead of being like Jesus and being a disciple of him, I realized I'd become a disciple of me. And God had to rip that stuff out of my soul. And it was bloody, awful, and awesome. And sometimes it creeps back in. I think we're all prone. We start believing our own press. 
And every day becomes a test of whether we will humble ourselves before Jesus and realize that he's all that. And apart from him, we can do nothing. So God says to us in James 4, humble yourself before God. Resist the devil by refusing to allow arrogance to run your soul. Stand firm against the arrogance of evil. And God promises you the evil one's going to have to back off. Draw near to God. Wash your hands. Repent of being all that. Repent of the pride that made you the star of your own life documentary and took Jesus out of his starving role. Grieve and hurt over the fact that your universe revolves around you. But don't get stuck there. Don't get stuck there. Humble yourself before God who loves you and then allow him to scoop you up and live his promise. Because his promise is if you humble yourself before the Lord, he will lift you up. Some of us think this, if I humble myself, God's going to put his hand on the top of my life and just squeeze until I squeal. That's not the promise. God says if you humble yourself, he'll lift you He'll lift you up because you're going to stop being a disciple of you and become a disciple of Jesus. Let's review the order of humility one more time. We've got to get this. I've got to get this. Humility first looks up to God, and then it looks out to others, and finally it looks into self. Let me, let me put it this way. Humility looks first up to God. And when you look up to God and you see his face, I promise you what you're going to see. You're going to see grace. Because that's God's heart. So I look up to God and I see God's grace. Secondly, I look out. Do you know what I see when I look out every weekend? I see family. That's what I see. Brothers and sisters working together humbly in the work of God, doing our best to try and reach to Jesus because we know he's reaching to us. So I look up to God, then I look out to see the needs of others and hopefully take both knees and begin to see the needs of others. And finally, lastly, I look down into my own soul. And when I look down into my own soul, do you know what I see? I see a soul that is in desperate need of God, which means I am forced to look back where? Up. And it just keeps going over and over again up to God to see grace, out to serve others, down into my own soul, seeing a person who desperately needs God's touch and it forces my eyes to go right back up again. That's the beauty of humility. So, you know, maybe you've been listening to this over the last 29 minutes and God's been putting his gentle hand of conviction on your heart. I know... uh, As I was preparing this, he certainly did that with me. Because nobody ever gets to play the I've arrived card when it comes to humility. It's just not that easy. Maybe you're here today and you thought, man, I'm just going to slide into church and get back out again because the sun is out and I'm going to put in my time. Maybe you showed up this weekend And instead of just sliding in and sliding out, what happened was God put his finger on a very tender place in your soul. And maybe he whispered to you, you want to be in authority, but you've never been under authority. Christ the King family, whose authority are you under? I'm not making a plea to get people under my authority because that doesn't mean anything. 
Whose authority have you placed yourself under? Knowing that God wants you there. That it's a good place to be. It's not a scary place to be. Maybe uh, today, in the quietness of your own heart, you've just realized that somehow, along the way, you're not exactly sure how it happened, but you're right back square on the throne of your life again, and Jesus is standing beside you, and you bought into that myth that God is your co-pilot. God doesn't co-pilot for anybody. God pilots, we follow. That's how it works. And it's amazing how subtly it happens, isn't it? I mean, it's not like one day you just say, hey, Jesus, scoot. I'm in charge. It doesn't work that way, does it? At least not for me. It's more like this. Hey, Jesus, can you like, just a little room here. Come on. I got to, I'm trying to kind of just shoot. Come on. I'm. To me, it's subtle. It happens slowly. And you know why? It's because of arrogance. Because there are moments when I think I can run my life way better than God can. Anybody else found the foolishness of that kind of thinking? Oh, my goodness. So maybe God's working in those areas of your life. Maybe there's one more area. The ultimate act of human humility is when the created takes a knee in front of the creator and says, I want you to be Lord and Savior of my life. I'm going to go to one knee in the hopes that maybe someday you'll allow me to get into this position, which is a powerful position, and just serve my family. But I got to cross this line first. And so what I'm saying to you, God, is this. I no longer want to be the king of my universe. I don't want to be a disciple of me. I want to be a disciple of you. And so today I'm going to step across the line of humility and say this. I need help. Would you save me? Because if I'm the king of my universe, I'm not doing a very good job because my universe is a mess. I did this when I was about eight years old. And many times since then, I've had to come back to this position because this is where humility starts. And I think it would be spiritual malpractice to talk about humility all morning and not give you an opportunity to find out what life is like from this position knowing that you've got a promise that comes with it. Humble yourself before God and He will lift you up. Up to God out to others, and then finally to yourself. So in a moment, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite you to do something. If you've never come under the authority of Jesus Christ, here's what you need to know about his authority. His authority took him to a cross to die for your sin so that you could be forgiven and set free. It's an authority of love, not authority of position. And he would love nothing more than to give you back your future by forgiving your past. And my prayer is that today you'll take this opportunity to take a knee before Jesus knowing that in this place there's forgiveness for the past and hope for the future. You pray with me as we get ready to close today. God, I know it's a sunny, beautiful weekend, and I thank you for it. But I pray right now that the sun would shine here and that the Son of God would come 
and speak. God, I pray for those in the room who are just like me, who, who have these horrifying moments when we just realize our world's become all about us. God, we confess that and we repent and we mourn the fact that we asked you to abdicate your throne and we ask today humbly that you would take your rightful place again and that we would follow you. God, I pray for those who may have been caught in that subtle world of being in authority but refusing to be under authority. And I pray that they would place themselves under your care and then under the care of godly leadership who will love them so they can flourish and grow. God, I pray for those who've never ever taken a knee before Jesus. And today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, I'd like to give you an opportunity to bend your knee before a God who loved you so much he died for you. And I'm going to invite you to invite Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of your life by praying this prayer with me along in your heart right now. Jesus, forgive me for trying to live life under my own authority and my own power. Forgive me for for declaring myself to be the king of the universe. Right now, I ask you to become the king of my life and the king of my heart. I believe that you died for me and that you can forgive me of my past. So I ask right now that you would do something I don't deserve. I ask that you would wash me as white as snow. I pray, God, that you would heal and gather up the broken pieces of my life and put me back together again so that I can serve you as a disciple of Jesus. I thank you that you promised me the gift of eternal life. And I pray that in this life, I would live every day as a humble follower of Jesus Christ. So I take a knee before the King of Kings. And I thank you for the promise that you will lift me up. In Jesus' name.